Hey there, my name is Roy and I'm the lead pastor here at Arthur Pentecostal Assembly. And we're concluding our series, hopefully you've been following along with this, called What Would Jesus Actually Do? This is part five of our series. And uh, we're glad that you've joined us. Uh, just so maybe grab a refill on your coffee, just kind of settle in. And uh, as we kind of conclude this series out. Well, are you able to think back to the 1980s? Maybe you're too young to remember the, the 80s or... Um, for me, I was a child of the 80s. So I was in that age period, somewhere between 5 and 15, during the 80s. And when you think of back to, to that time period, the, the 1980s, what classic movie kind of comes to mind, that 80s movie that sort of jumps out at you? For me, the first movie that I ever saw in the theaters was E.T., uh, the, the Steven Spielberg classic movie where a being comes from above and he comes down and he teaches humans that he interacts with the meaning of love and then he's rejected by the mass population and, and actually killed by them but then he comes back to life and then he leaves them and assures them that he, although he's leaving he will always be, be with them. That sound, kind of sounds familiar but... I'm not going to get too serious into the parallels of E.T. and Jesus, but that was my first, my first movie theater movie. Um, then you, maybe for you it was um, some of the Star Wars films, Return of the Jedi, Empire Strikes Back, The, the Princess Bride, uh, Back to the Future, The NeverEnding Story, Goonies. Some of these movies are classic. They just stand the test of time. That if you're, if you, you can sit down and you can watch them over and over and over again. But some of those movies, if you, you realize when you go back and watch them, they're actually not as good as you remember them to be. Maybe you told your kids that, hey, sit down and watch this movie, it's great. Then you sat down and watched them, like, mm, I thought it was better than it actually was. One of my favorites from that time period is the, the movie The Karate Kid, the story of Daniel Russo, this, this young teenage boy, high school boy, who moves into a new area, and he's picked on by a bunch of uh, students who, who are part of a, a karate club that... And, and they're not the, the most nicest people in the world. And that's when Daniel in his, his, uh, his apartment complex meets um, this Japanese man, this older Japanese man named Mr. Miyagi. Mr. Miyagi was once a karate master. And uh, Mr. Miyagi agrees to train Daniel in the arts of karate. And in one of the scenes, Daniel walks into his, his house, into, into the room, and Mr. Miyagi's pruning a bonsai tree. Now, I'm pretty sure this scene is probably the first place I ever saw or ever heard of a bonsai tree. And so Mr. Miyagi's cutting and pruning this tiny little tree that looks like it doesn't really have that much more to prune. And, and, but Mr. Miyagi just keeps pruning it. And Daniel's fascinated by these little trees and how, how, how they're, they're formed and how they're just this incredible formation that comes to, comes to be. And so Mr. Miyagi tells Daniel, I'm going to give you a shot at, at, at cutting and pruning one of these trees, one of the ones that's unpruned right now. And Daniel's afraid he's just going to mess it up. Like he's, at first, he's like, I don't want to do this. I might cut off too much. I might kill the tree. And the advice that Mr. Miyagi gives to Daniel in that moment is to close your eyes and picture in your mind what you want the tree to look like. And then prune the tree to match the picture that you have in your mind. Well, without the picture, you'll be afraid that you're going to prune too much. You'll, be, you'll not be confident in what you're doing. So why do I tell you all this? Well, 
There's a pruning process that is happening in, in my life and your life as we speak. And I think most people recognize this. But it's important for me to have faith that during these seasons of pruning, when I recognize that some things are being cut out of my life, that there must be a purpose behind the pruning. If I'm the bonsai tree, that the pruner, the gardener, must have a picture that they, of the end result of what they would like for me and for you to be. And we get this idea by something Jesus once said in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 1, uh, Jesus says, I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. So Jesus tells us that God the Father, he is the gardener, and Jesus is the grapevine, and we are the branches that are connected to the grapevine. And if we are not connected to the vine, then we will not produce fruit. It's a simple analogy. It's a simple analogy that we're, but the part that we kind of get out of whack or get out of step with is we focus a lot of times, rather than being connected to the vine, we, we focus on the fruit, which kind of ties into last week's message about being a lot more concerned about your out, outward faith than your inward faith and what people see. And there's no doubt that fruit is an indicator. It's a strong indicator of the health of what's happening with the vine. But sometimes we have, we, we have Christians that, that display fruit but, if, but from a distance, it looks good. But once you get up close, you realize it's actually just artificial fruit. It is plastic fruit. And we're fooled into thinking everything's okay. Our focus needs to be less on the fruit and more on the connection. Because if we're focused on the connection to the vine, to Jesus, the fruit will take care of itself. As long as we are connected, we will grow good fruit. But once we are disconnected, no fruit will grow. Jesus tells us this in the next verse. In, in verse 2, he says, He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I've give you, given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. And what we see here is that there's this pruning process. It's all part of the, in order to grow, there has to be pruning. You won't grow if you're disconnected from the vine, but he also prunes the healthy branches so that they don't stop growing. So let's, let's recap. There's a lot there. Let's recap for a moment. God's the gardener. And Jesus is the vine. God has the, the pruning shears in his hand, and God's the one that's doing the pruning. You and I are the branches. You are not the pruner. Your spouse is not the pruner. It's not your job to prune your spouse or your, your neighbor. God is the pruner. Uh, let's look at verse 2 again. He says, He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. This statement by itself should make you feel just a little bit uncomfortable. Because Jesus has said that God's the gardener and Jesus is the vine and you are the branches that are connected to the vine. And when you are connected, you produce fruit. However, Jesus says... He, being God, cuts off every branch from Jesus that doesn't produce fruit, which admittedly feels a little bit inconsistent with what Jesus continues to teach later on in that passage. Because Jesus goes out of his way over and over again to reinforce that if you are in him, that if you abide in him, if you are connected to him, you will produce much fruit. But then the verse seems to imply that you can be a branch 
connected to him and then not produce fruit, and then you're cut off. So I just want to take a little a look at this verse a little bit deeper, a little bit, a little bit further in depth. It says he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And the section I want to focus on is this phrase, cut off, because I think that's the part that's causing a little bit of tension here. See, the, the Greek word for this phrase, uh, cut off, is a-ro, A-I-R-O, a-ro. And this word has two definitions that, that all Greek scholars will um, say they're comfortable with, that, that there is two different definitions for this word. One is cut off, which we see here, and the other is picks up. So if you were to substitute that word in there, it could be he cuts off or he picks up. Well, those are two very, very different meanings. Is it cut, cut off or is it picks up? Well, let's look at a couple of exam other examples. Other times where John uses this word a row. In John, John 5, verse 8, Jesus is talking to a paralyzed man and he says, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Or in other words, a row your mat and walk. Pick up your, walk, your, mat, your mat and walk. Later in John 8, the religious leaders are angry at Jesus and they want to stone him. So it says in John 8, 59, at that point, they picked up stones to throw at him. They arrow stones to throw at him. So this word arrow could mean cuts off, but it could also mean picks up. And they're two very different meanings. For example, imagine you have a teenage, uh, teenage um, son or daughter who's just gotten their license and and every time you get in the car after them, this is probably very common, but every time you get in the car after them, the gas gauge is on empty. And so you're constantly saying to them, like, you've got to keep gas in the car. If you're going to use the car, you've got to keep gas in the car. Otherwise, somebody's going to run out of gas at some point. And they're constantly pushing the limits of how far the gas will actually take them. And then one day, you get a phone call. It's the middle of the night, and they've run out of gas. And they're on a back road where there's no civilization around for, for miles and miles. And they... They call you, and so you sigh, and then you say, oh, okay, all right, all right, all right. I'm going to arrow you. What does that mean? Well, it either means I'm going to pick you up, or it means I'm going to cut you off. Your teenager wants to know which one you mean. Do you see the issue? If arrow means I'm going to pick you up, that's reassuring. That's the reason they called you. But if it means I'm going to cut you off, their first thought is from what? The car? The family? There's big implications depending on how that word is interpreted here. And so when Jesus says he cuts off the, every branch that does not produce fruit, does he mean cut off from the family? But, but Jesus talks about pruning in the next few verses. So maybe it's just cut back. Maybe that's what it really means. But if you understand how a vineyard works... In a vineyard, when a gardener is checking on his vines as he's doing sort of his daily inspection, every once in a while he'll come across a vine that's laying in the dirt. And so what he will do is he will bend, bend down and he will check the vine. And what he's checking for is to see if it's still connected to the, the, this branch is still connected to the vine. Because if it is, then it's not too late. It can still bear fruit. If it's connected to the vine, he picks it up and he brushes it off and then he attaches it to some sort of support or, or a trellis so that it will be off the ground. 
And, and it'll be supported until it can support itself and begin to produce fruit again. So a huge part of the gardener's job in a vineyard is to go around and find branches that are in the dirt. But, it, but they need to be still connected to the vine. And if they are, he picks them up and he, he, and, and he makes sure that they can produce fruit again. But if they're not connected to the vine, then they're dead. So when you look at this word arrow in this sense, it seems to fit the spirit of who God is. He picks up every branch that doesn't produce fruit. That is, if it's still connected to the vine. And that's big. That's big. For some of you, that's really big. Because for some of you, you struggle with this idea that God is looking to cut you off. That if you aren't doing enough, if you're not producing enough, if you're not good enough, he's going to come along as the gardener and he's going to cut you off. So you live with this fear that at some point God is going to inspect you and determine not enough fruit. Cut off. And so if you have that mindset that he's going to cut me off, then you grew up with fear. You're controlled by religion, controlled by church, expecting that if I don't do enough, I'm out. And it's fear-based. But there's a part of us that knows that that's not consistent with what we see all throughout the Gospels. In Romans 8, Paul's talking that uh, talks about those that are in Christ, the same terminology that Jesus used, who are in me, can never be separated from the love of God. Paul says, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. As long as you stay connected to the vine. As long as you abide in him. So even when you face hardships, even when, when, you, when you look at your regrets, even when you fail, you look at that failed marriage, or you look at your, your addiction, or you look at the poor decisions that you've made, you may find yourself at times face down in the dirt, not producing the fruit that God would like for you to have. But if you stay connected to the vine, the gardener will find you. And the gardener will pick you up, and the gardener will brush you off. And then the gardener will, will support you until you're able to produce fruit again. Let me take this metaphor just a little bit further. During the, the time in the New Testament, there wasn't, there wasn't really the systems, a, a trellis system that, that a lot of the gardeners today would have, that what they're working with. And so what they would do is they would pick up the vine and they would brush it off and then they would intertwine it with another more mature, stronger, stronger branch. And then they'd set the slack down on the rock to keep it up off the ground. Perhaps that's a picture of what the church is about. Perhaps that's, that's how the church is supposed to work. We are the branches. And if I was to talk to many of the people that are within the church, if I was to talk to you and you were able to tell your story, there's many of you that, were, that would, would tell this story about how at one point in your life you were face down in the dirt and the gardener picked you up and the gardener brushed you off. And it's only because you chose to stay connected to the vine that you now produce fruit today, that you now can tell a different story. And now, now you're a mature branch. Now you've come through a, a lot of hardship in your life, but now you're stronger because of it. And then you see younger branches that, that have made the same mistakes maybe that you made. And you see them face down in the dirt. 
And you have to make a decision. Do I judge them or do I shun them? Or perhaps I become the branch that the gardener comes along and brushes them off and intertwines them with me. I'm the one that supports them and holds them up until they can do it on their own, until they can begin to produce fruit again. And then you have the rock. The rock, the rock is God's church, unmovable, the foundation to which you place them on. And when you see these two things in, in, in action, these, these more mature branches that are entwined hanging on and the, and the rock, the church in which it holds them up, it is such a beautiful thing to watch in action. Verse 2 says, He prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. See, pruning is necessary to produce fruit. And it's not, it's not necessarily cutting off, it's cutting back. And pruning isn't always enjoyable. I think some of us understand pruning now more than we ever have because of this pandemic. We've had so many things in this last two years pruned out of our lives. Maybe you had your vacation plans pruned. Maybe, maybe you had an, a bonus that you were expecting that just got pruned because of some financial hardships with your company. Maybe it was your prom. Maybe it was your graduation. Maybe it was your first year of university. Maybe it was your wedding plans. And as a result, maybe it was your, your honeymoon. They all got pruned. And I think we're okay with light pruning. I think we're okay if we just take a little bit off here and there so it looks good, just nothing drastic. It's like... Some of you, what you tell your hairdresser. You're like, just, just take a little bit off. Just make it look good. Almost like I didn't get a haircut, but, but make it look good. Just don't start chopping. I, I don't want you chopping everything off. I don't want that. And yet, I was reading this article that a vineyard posted on their website about the pruning process. And, and to be clear, I was only reading this article because I was doing some, some research into pruning. I don't normally read vineyard websites, articles, but it said during the winter, they will prune anywhere between 70 and 90% of the previous year's growth. 70 to 90% of it, they will prune off. Vines typically have uh, more than 100 buds on them, but by the time they were done in, the, in this winter pruning process, they've pruned that number down to 30 to 36. 70 to 90% seems like a lot. But that doesn't feel like it's inaccurate when we think about what we've had pruned during this pandemic. Like we've seen that kind of pruning in our lives lately. The question though we all want to know is, what does the picture look like? Like Mr. Miyagi said that you need to have a picture in your head of what the end result is. So obviously God has a picture of what he wants in the middle of this pruning process. And then we'll never get there without the pruning. But God, what does the, what does the picture look like? Here's a couple pruning principles. Number one, pruning seems painful, but it isn't punishment. Pruning seems painful, but it's not punishment. That's, that's not what it feels like, though, sometimes. Pruning feels painful. Sometimes we have this tendency to have this direct connection that if something's painful, it's not what I wanted, not what I expected, it's got to be punishment. And if you see something as punishment, your natural tendency is to resist it. You're going to rebel against it. You're going to push back. Here's an example of this is Job in the Old Testament. 
Job has many things pruned from his life. He loses his business, he loses his family, he loses his wealth, he loses his health. And his friends come along and say, Job, what did you do to make God so mad? In other words, what you're going through, it's got to be punishment from God. So, Job, what did you do? Pruning's often painful. But just because something's painful doesn't mean that it's punishment. So there, in every one of us, there are some things, some branches, or some types of branches that need to be pruned from our lives. Here's a, here's a couple of examples. Number one, branches that have disease or are dying. See, for us, this is the sin that's been left unchecked. It's the toxic habits that we have. It's the toxic relationships we're involved with. I mean, if you talk to someone who has come through rehab and they start to talk about their, their alcohol or their drug addiction, they'll tell you, it didn't just affect an isolated portion of my life. It seeped into everything. My job, my marriage, my relationship with my kids. This disease eventually spread to every part of the branch. And not only did it spread across the branch, but it started to, to jump to some of the other branches that were around me people around me. And when that starts to happen, you need to cut that part of the branch off where the diseased part or the dying part is. is. You need to cut that off before it affects too much. And one way God prunes the dying and the diseased branch is this, is through the Holy Spirit. For example, you have something that you thought really wasn't much of an issue. Like maybe you thought I've got this under control and then one day you just kind of feel this conviction about you. Maybe you're sitting in church and you hear, you hear a speaker talk or maybe it's in the middle of a worship song and all of a sudden this conviction comes about that you just know, maybe I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I know this thing needs to be pruned from my life. Sometimes God will use other people. People who are invested directly into you. They, they, they will be the ones to have the tough conversations with you. And it's painful. Not just for you, but for them as well. Because it would be so much easier for them to just avoid the conversation. Because it's not a pleasant conversation for them. But they recognize that there is fruit in your life that is being suppressed because of this issue. That, that, that the branch that, that you represent is not growing any longer. Another type of branch that needs to be pruned is what's called the sucker branch. I make this up as a gardening term. A sucker branch is a branch that grows in between the vine and the branch. And this, this sucker branch doesn't produce fruit. It looks like it's from the vine, but it doesn't produce any fruit. And all it does is it just steals the nutrients that the actual branch was supposed to get, the one that is producing, producing fruit. And so from the outside... It looks like it's, it's part of the vine. It looks like it, it doesn't look like a weed. It looks like it's from the vine. And so it looks like it should be there, but it's sneaky destructive. I think we all have sucker branches in our lives. Things that aren't bad in and of themselves, but they're stealing our attention, stealing our energy, stealing our resources, stealing our focus. And we need to be aware of these things and take the opportunity to prune them when we need to. Even prune them back a little bit. A big one is the time you spend in front of screens or on your phone. Like, the phone isn't a bad thing. It's, it's incredibly helpful in so many different areas. And it has so many uses. But I also know that it can be 
a time waster. I can tell you, there's people that will tell you, I'm so busy. I just, I, you know, I really want to read my Bible or I really want to volunteer, uh, you know, at that soup kitchen. But I just, I don't have the time. But then if you actually looked at their phone, you would, you would find that they are, they're on level 1500 of Candy Crush. Or they, they've just, they've invested so many hours watching YouTube or TikTok videos that have just kind of taken up their time. Netflix or, or TV is another one. Not, when, it's not, when, it's, when it's controlled, it's not an issue of itself. But studies last year show that those that are 18 to 34 watch two hours of TV or Netflix a day, which seems kind of, kind of low, except for you recognize that those that are younger spend a lot of time on YouTube and, and TikTok and other forms of streaming, streaming services. So that number is probably a little bit skewed. But those that are 35 to 49, they say that between Netflix and TV, they watch three hours and 41 minutes a day. Those that are 50 to 64 watch five hours and 38 minutes a day. And those that are over the age of 65, six hours and 55 minutes a day. That's like a full-time job. Again, entertainment, wholesome entertainment in, its, in and of itself is not evil. It's just, if you're not careful, it becomes a sucker branch. A branch that steals your attention, that steals your energy and your time, and the time that can be used to, to invest in relationships and to advance the kingdom of God. For kids, it can be video games. I, I love video games, but video game, is, video game addiction is a, is a thing. We see young people who are addicted their schoolwork suffers, their, their social relationships suffer, their, their fitness levels suffer, and, and they don't have time for anything else, and they can't focus on anything else, and it becomes a sucker branch in their lives. And I think if we're honest, we all have sucker branches in our lives, things that take away the good things that God wants for us through distraction. The third type of branch to prune is, it's a confusing one, but the healthy branches. And like I said, this one's confusing because... Why would I prune healthy branches that are already producing fruit? How does that make any sense? Well, the theory is, is that you can, cut away, you can cut away something good to make room for something better. This one can be harder. It can be harder to recognize. Because it's easier to identify the, the, that addiction that needs to be pruned, right? Like, we may not want to, but I think deep down, most of us are like, I know this is, this is probably not good for me. I really need to actually cut this back or I need to actually cut this out completely out of my life. And it's less easy to, to recognize a sucker branch because sucker branches from the outside look okay. They, they're, they're, they disguise themselves as things that are fine of themselves, but, but, they're, but they're the ones who take up so much of your time and your energy and your resources. But God, now God wants me to prune back the, the branches that are actually producing fruit? How does that make sense? Well, what that might look like is it might look like a job. Like maybe you're in a job, and, and, and God, but God made you for more. God, God's got something bigger for you than the job that you're in. But you've settled. You're comfortable there. And, and you rationalize, like, well, it's not like I'm not working. I mean, that would be worse. And it brings in a paycheck. I'm able to support myself or my family. And, and you like what you do, and you might be like the people that you work with, but God's got something bigger in mind for you. And maybe there will be a point where he kind of nudges you to quit that job. 
Because it suppresses the fruit. It suppresses the bigger thing, the better thing he has for you. Or maybe it's a relationship. You know, maybe you began dating someone and, and, and you know she's not right for you. And it has nothing to do with her. There's nothing wrong with her. She's, she's a great girl. But you know she's not the right person and she knows it. But it's now become a relationship built on convenience because you've been together for so long and you don't want to hurt each other. But you also know that this, is, this doesn't have the legs to go anywhere. And so you both know God's got something better for you. And so there's some tough pruning that needs to happen. It says he prunes the branches that do not bear fruit so that they will produce even more. That do prepare, do prefer, to, do bear fruit so they'll produce even more. Because God, the gardener, he's got a picture in his head of what he wants for you. I was reading this article by this pastor named uh, Dan Furman. And, and he gave this analogy in this article, he said, I, I used to work from home when our church started, and as I prepared my sermons, I'd look out the window, and I'd be motivated by the beautiful bougainvillea flower. See, I'm not a gardener at all. I've never heard, this, heard of this flower in our garden. And one day I looked out, and I saw the gardener chopping up my beloved bougainvillea bushes, and branches flew everywhere until all the leaves and most of the branches were in a pile. My first thought was that we had hired the worst gardener in the world. And I quickly found my wife, Gloria, and said, have you seen what the gardener's doing? He's destroying everything. And it upset me. All the beautiful branches and flowers lay wilting on the ground. Now, obviously, I never took gardening 101. To my ignorant eye, this butcher of the bushes was killing my flowers. But to the knowing eye, he was a wise vine dresser. He knew that a bush's life actually increases with pruning. And so I think if you were in that situation, if you were able to speak to the gardener, and ask, what are you doing with my bushes? He would tell you, I, I know what it looks like. I know this looks like a mess. But will you do me a favor? Will you wait until the spring before you pass judgment? I think if you can just wait till the spring, it will all make sense then. And I think the gardener of your life would tell you the same thing. I know what this looks like. I, I know what this last couple of years have looked like. You've lost a lot. You've had a lot pruned back. You've had lots of things cut away. But if you wait till the spring, it'll all make sense then. I've told this story before, so I'll give the abbreviated version. But before I was pastoring, I, was, I thought I was a shoe-in one time for a, as a computer tech at a law, law firm. And uh, it was a big, bigger salary and, than I'd ever seen. And secure job and I figured my family was set from it and I and all my worries were going to be taken care of and I and in that moment I was already giving God thanks it was down to just me and one other person being interviewed for the last for this position and and then I got the phone call that they picked the other guy I didn't get it and I didn't see it then because pastoral ministry wasn't in the radar it wasn't I didn't have the big picture that God had for my life but God was working from that picture and and, and this this, not getting this job was part of the pruning process. And now, a couple of years later, when everything all kind of came together, it, it, it made sense in the spring. But when I was in the middle of the winter, winter, it didn't make any sense at all. It just felt like a massacre of pruning. There's this fascinating study by a psychologist called, named Jonathan, Jonathan Haidt. 
And in this study, he told parents to imagine that they had been given a script of their child's life. And everything that would happen to their child, good or bad, was in this script. And he told them, you can erase anything you want out of this, the script so that it will not happen to them. But this, here's the catch. You only have 10 minutes to make all your edits. So go. And so if this hypothetical situation was real, what would you erase? I mean, on the outside, it seems pretty easy. Because if you're a parent, you're naturally protective. You, you naturally, there's certain things that you just want to shield your child from. So, so your child hits elementary school and they, d- they develop a learning disability. And some things that all the other kids seem to find easy, your child struggles with. And so you're looking at that and you're like, I'm going to erase that. I, I don't want him or her to have to endure that. And so you go a little further and, and you find that there's a sport that they, they are absolutely love, that they're passionate about, and they, they practice for hours on end. And then the, the, the tryout comes, the big day, and the coach tells me you're just not good enough. We're going to have to cut you because you just don't have the skill level that we need. And, and they're crushed. They come home and they cry. And you look at the script and you're like, I'm going to erase that. I don't, I don't want that to happen to them. And then they hit college and they fall in love with somebody and, and that person looks like the one. And then one day, they break up and your child is wrecked, devastated, heartbroken. Months of depression follows. And you look at that script and you're like, I, got, I gotta, I have to erase this. They graduate and they get their, their dream job and it seems like after all they've been through, everything's just going to work out. Six months in, the company restructures and their job is eliminated. Yeah. Let's erase that as well. I don't want them to, to, I don't want them to endure that either. And so it's your instinct as a parent to want to protect your kids from the prunings of life. But what if the pruning is the protection? What if the pruning is keeping them from a more destructive pain? Or better yet, what if the pruning is setting them up for success? See, you just can't see it in the moment. When you're reading through the script of their life, you can't see what's going to happen. Well, what if erasing the learning disability actually erased a perseverance and a determination that was going to carry them on to incredible things in their life that without it they never would have accomplished? What if erasing them from getting cut from the team also erased their grit, their passion that would spill into so many other areas of their life? What if erasing that college breakup erased some valuable lessons about what healthy relationships are and what unhealthy relationships are? A lesson that was so incredibly important in them recognizing the right person that would ultimately lead to a marriage that would stand the test of time. And what if erasing that layoff caused them to be stuck in a job rather than discover the God-given purpose that they had for their life? See, what if in all your erasing, you erased the pruning? A pruning that would show them that there is a God who is the source of their strength no matter how painful it is. What if the pruning was the protection Because there's purpose in the pruning. So here's a thought. 
if pruning is purposeful, why don't we ask for pruning? Why don't we ask for it? Because here's something that experience teaches. The pruning I ask for is always less painful than the pruning I don't. So when I don't ask for pruning, it doesn't change the fact that I need pruning or pruning needs to happen. God will prune. He cares too much about you to not. So take that thing in your life that needs pruning. Wouldn't you rather that be part of a process? Wouldn't you rather that be a process between you and the Holy Spirit? That's that's why you come to church, or it should be why you come to church. You come to church to allow God to prune you. When you sit and you listen to a message, or it's in the middle of a worship service, and that conviction comes on, or you're inspired by something, it's, it's this... It's, God just kind of giving you this vision, this thing that he has in his head about you and, and, and wants to prune some of the things that are going to hold you back from that. Well, we come to a place where we say, God, I invite your pruning. See, the alternative to invited pruning is uninvited pruning. Where we've allowed the, the, the disease or the overgrowth on the branch and it infects everything around it. And now there's more dramatic measures are required in order to save the branch. And God loves you too much to not do that. So isn't it better to ask for the pruning? Let me close this series with just a thought. What would Jesus actually do? Well, Jesus, before he goes to the cross, he's praying to the Father and he's, he's struggling. And part of that, that prayer time, that regular prayer time with the Father was part of his regular pruning process. And knowing that the, the cross and excruciating pain is in front of him, he says to the Father, let this cup pass from me. In other words, I know it has to be done, but I'm just not sure I can handle it. But then he goes on to say, but Father, I know this might not make sense in the moment, it's going to seem like the enemy's winning as I'm crucified on that cross. And I know from the outside, especially with my, my followers, it's not going to make any sense. But I know that you have a picture in your, your head for my life. And he says to God, if this will complete that picture, let it be your will, not mine. Do what needs to be done. I want to close this, this series by, by praying for you. And, and maybe, maybe today, as you're listening, you've kind of done an inventory in your head. It's, what do I need to prune? What do I need, what do I need to invite God into to help prune? Because it should be a process that we constantly are seeking. God, prune away the things that are holding me back. Prune away the things that are stunting the growth of the fruit in my life. You've got a vision in your head, God, of where you would like me to be. And if there's anything that's holding back, if there's a diseased branch, or if there's, if there's a sucker branch that's in there, God, or, or even if there's a healthy branch that could be so much more healthier, God, will you prune that? So if, that, if you agree with that, I'm going to ask you just, even just stand where you are. I know you're watching online, but maybe just stand as a symbol of 
uh, of, of unity. And we're going to pray today that God will come in and we're going to invite him into our lives to prune some of the things that hold us back. God, the pruning process is, is not something that we normally welcome. As human beings, we generally are, we, we push away, we, we shy away from, from pain. We shy away from the things that are uncomfortable. We shy away from the things that uh, force us to um, do things outside that comfort zone. But today, God, we stand together and we pray to you that you would continue to prune away some of the things in our lives that are holding us back. And maybe that's a, a habit or an addiction. Maybe it's a relationship that we're involved in that's toxic. God, maybe it's, maybe it's some things in our lives that are not, to look, they don't look toxic from the outside, but they're, um, they're eating away at uh, our effectiveness as, as children of God. Uh, and maybe that's um, too much time spent in front of a screen. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's, it's, too, there, maybe there's a there's a relationship that requires too much of our time. Maybe there's maybe there's some things on uh, in and of themselves that don't seem that bad, but they're they're sucking away at our our energy and our focus, and and not allowing us to devote some of that to you. And so, God, I pray that um, each of us would have the strength and the courage to ask you to prune away some of those things and let it be a process. Um, between us and the Holy Spirit, but also bring people around us that will help us in that pruning process, people that will speak into our lives, um, people that, will, that are not afraid and invested in us enough to say the things that need to be said. And so, God, we know that's it's uncomfortable. We know that's not uh, the easiest thing in the world, but we also know that great things never come from the easy route. And so, Lord, I pray that um, in everything that we do, we would... Filter it through this lens of what would Jesus actually do? Amen.